I was like, nah, I'm not gonna get any Wi-Fi on this on this flight. <laughs> I'm taking three hours off. Yep. <laughs> you just deal with this. This time is for me and bourbon. <laughs> well, yes, I would like an eight dollar Woodford, please. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Debate Hall in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 138 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the chaotic neutral alignment, and probably getting into an argument. But first the rogue traders take a nap in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, and later the trickster embodies the fickleness of the fae in the character creation forge. Uh, Shane, uh, are we in a debate hall because... When you are in a debate, you basically have no moral compass and you're just arguing for a particular side that you've been assigned. Is that it? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with that. I, I liked it because there are uh, no rules in the debate hall. I see. I see. Because I don't follow them. You're out of order. Exactly. <laughs> so that works. So speaking of uh, not having a horse in the race, um, Pathfinder 2nd Edition is coming out. <laughs> yeah, the the playtest rules are already available if you wanted to go on Paizo's website to download them. And apparently you can also pay full price for a Pathfinder playtest book. Yeah, um, I don't think we'll be doing that. I do think, however, we will be trying to get our hands on an advanced copy of the final rules whenever those come out and reviewing it for our audience. This will be the first Pathfinder book we actually review. Mm-hmm. Uh, because neither of us plays Pathfinder, because, well, I hopped on to 4th edition, you were sort of... I skipped the whole period, <laughs> and 5th uh, edition was already late in its playtest by the time that I came back to D&D, so, I, like, Pathfinder didn't exist for me at all, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's kind of a, a bit of a hole in our RPG coverage because remember when we were at Gen Con last year, we were amazed at the number of people playing in like Pathfinder League. Uh, yeah, the Adventure Society, I think it is. Sure. Pathfinder yeah. Society. Pathfinder Society. <laughs> there you go. That makes more sense. Uh, so we know that there are a bunch of people out there who play Pathfinder, love Pathfinder. I would be interested to see what all of you think, though, about getting a second edition, because I know a lot of the reason that people moved over to Pathfinder is that they wanted to keep 3.5 books, they didn't want to have to buy into a new edition, um, learn a new rule set, and but here we are, and, you know, I guess 10 years is a pretty good amount of time to get out of a game system, but... I'd be interested to see how many people roll over into second edition or how many others kind of go, well, I don't know, maybe now's the time we take a look at fifth edition. Yeah, I, I I don't have any strong, like, feeling about this, right? Like, it, to me, it's natural that games get updates, you know, publishers have to release new editions. It's just sort of being part of a an active hobby. Um, so I don't have any, like, complaint that they're trying to do a second edition. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, the pathfinder faithful feel um and i i don't have a good sense of that yet um i suppose when it's finally released we'll get a better a better feel for what direction it's headed i'm very excited for a new batch of edition wars but this time not involving me right <laughs> cannot wait to uh, watch this one on cable news <laughs> all right so speaking of um useless infighting shane 
Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. Screw this place. Yeah, so you spent the day exploring the house, uh, had a few unnerving developments, shall we say, um, because it's, you know, it's eerie, it's creepy, it's abandoned, uh, and it seems to be playing tricks on everyone's mind. But ultimately, dusk was falling and you had a choice of sleeping outside in a dust storm or inside in the safe, sturdy confines of the fortress. Sure. I mean, okay, considering that we'd been outside for, what, four or five days at this point, all mm-hmm. of our gear was clogged with what is essentially fiberglass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As were our lungs. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> we figured, fine, like, we'll stay inside. Dun, dun, dun. Because no one rests easy. Uh, there are fitful dreams, similar to the ones that we had endured while we were trekking through the glass storm to get here. Yeah, dried skulls in a dusty valley. At one point, our astropath, Flare, awakes to the sound of grinding stone. Uh, he begins to panic, and so he rouses our uh, arch-militant Draco, and they go off to investigate. Uh, alone? Just the two of them? Uh, well, yeah, because... <laughs> Seems bright. Well, the concern is that if they spook the men, and knowing that this is... The, the reports coming from, you know, across uh, the house have generally been you know, eerie, creepy, demoralizing things going on. They don't want to rattle anybody unnecessarily. So the sound of grinding eventually leads them to the basement where there is, lo and behold, an engine room in the house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's like a power generator, basically. Um, and it's, you know, off. Uh, but they, and, and other than that, like, they can't really find the source of the grinding, you know, uh, Flair is completely convinced that this is where it came from. Draco at this point isn't even sure that he really heard anything. And, you know, other than an engine that has already been sort of identified, inspected, and they can't figure out how to get it to turn on to actually, you know, enable power in the house, nothing looks awry. Well, that's a, that's a good sign. Hmm. Here's an engine that should be supplying power to the house, but we can't figure out how to turn it on. But let's keep trying. so eventually they give up uh flair insists the sound was real but they're not really sure they go back to sleep and flair keeps dreaming about this same grinding sound although there are some additions to his dream yeah the dream is getting more vivid and he keeps seeing this giant albino worm with this thick chitinous segmented sort of outer skin shell uh, chewing its way through the earth and dragging its body slowly across the stone, just grinding through the crust of the earth. I have that dream too sometimes. Yeah? yeah. How, how does that turn out for you? I wake myself up. I don't, I don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see where this is going. But Flair's not the only one to have, uh, have troublesome dreams tonight. Because meanwhile, Seneschal Trix has a vivid dream of his own. And we'll find out what it's about next week so this week we are continuing our new series on alignments as we discuss playing chaotic neutral yes part two of our series 
Last time we talked about lawful goods, so we thought we would delve into the two other types of alignments. Which are, of course, chaos and neutral. Okay, so a quick reminder for those of you who don't know that much about alignment. Shane, what is it? So alignment is uh, is basically a descriptor uh, within D&D based on two axes. So you have law and chaos, and you have good and evil. So lawful is um, you know, orderly, duty, reliability, um, you know, society relies on people um, doing what they need to do in order to keep everybody working more efficiently. On the opposite side of that spectrum, you have chaos. These are people who believe in personal freedom and flexibility and self-expression. Uh, they hate mindless obedience and they think that deference to authority crushes the spirit. And then the other axis, the good evil, you've got, you know, good, which stands for altruism, respecting life, compassion. You know, a good person goes out of their way to help others where... Um, where it might even cause them harm to do so. Whereas an evil person is selfish, uh, wants to inflict harm on other people, wants to oppress others, and will seek personal gain even if it actively harms other people. And then in between either of those, you have neutral, which is sort of not strongly in either direction, um, creating three, uh, three values on each scale, meaning there are nine total alignments. So chaotic neutral is in the three o'clock position on the alignment wheel if you will correct <laughs> <laughs> yeah lawful good was uh 10 30 yeah well lawful good was uh northwest <laughs> <laughs> yes this is due east right <laughs> that's that's maybe that's better than a clock <laughs> yeah maybe um so yes uh, the chaotic aspect of being chaotic, chaotic neutral is relatively straightforward you know you value personal freedom and expression and you tend to reject the structures of society at least the the ones that sort of bind your hands and keep you from doing the things that you feel like you want to do yeah yeah you want to be a free spirit but neutral i think is sort of the more challenging or problematic um piece of this alignment to sort of define and work through yeah there are two general kinds of neutral that you can be uh you could be neither good nor evil you know you are seeking balance between the good end of the spectrum and the evil end of the spectrum um maybe this is a religious motivation you feel that there needs to be a certain amount of each to maintain harmony um maybe you feel like that's just the best way for you to operate as uh as a person is you know, a little bit of good a little bit of bad yeah, or you could be both good and evil, which is sort of more lacking conviction, right? Like I do what's best in the situation, right? I like I don't I don't adhere strongly to a moral code, but I'm also not particularly selfish. I just try and do the best I can uh to get through, right? And maintain my own freedom um above the sort of arbitrary morality. Yeah. I'm a mercenary. I don't care about your holy war. Right. I'm 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 thoroughly in the gray between the black and the white. Um, and I think this is where the challenge comes from for uh, a lot of the reputation of chaotic neutral is that the idea of balance of being neither good nor evil of trying to maintain both good and evil is challenging, <laughs> especially in a party of people. But uh, it, it it leads to sort of like a, a philosophical conundrum, right? Yeah. So like, for example, if you are trying to maintain the balance, if good is doing pretty well in the world and your idea of balancing it is to stab a bunch of people as often as you can then 
maybe you're balancing the amount of good and evil in the world, but you, your personal actions are consistently evil. Right. That makes you evil. Right, exactly. If you keep doing evil things, you're an evil person. <laughs> uh, likewise, like occasionally doing good things to try and outweigh uh, the evil that exists in the world um, doesn't make you good. Like, you know, like it doesn't outweigh the the ledger of all the evil things that you do, right? Because evil kind of has no... Um, no floor. <laughs> you can always do something more terrible, more depraved, more, you know, unholy. <laughs> right. Hold my whip. Right, exactly. <laughs> you can always be worse, but there's there's sort of an upper limit on how good you can be, right? Like the the ultimate self-sacrifice is, is as far as you can go for good. And of course, in a game like D&D, you've got canonical evil or evils, right? Uh, the beings that are purely motivated by evil qualities and uh, a philosophy that seeks to balance out like an arch devil with you know Paylor who's a shining light of good doesn't really make that much sense just the practical application is evil wins by default right like good is an active state and evil is sort of a resting uh, a resting state evil will always win because good is dumb that's I mean good point dark helmet <laughs> Um, but but evil is the is a natural end state of entropy, right? So you don't have to do anything to make evil increase. Is sort of the problem um, with a with a balanced philosophy. Yeah, so I think if you're playing a chaotic neutral character who is seeking balance, it is much easier if you are seeking sort of an internal balance. And this doesn't mean like the party has like helped save uh, some prisoners. And so now I need to go enslave some people in order to balance that out, you know. But it can just be, okay, we've we've done a good deed, but I did that for the money. Right. You know, or I, I did that because um, it hurt the the orc slavers and I don't like them. You right. know, it can it can just be a selfish motivation that still helps the party. Right. Or or the flip side of like, you know, I had to get my hands dirty with this, but I'm not thrilled about it. So I'm going to do something a little bit better. Like I was willing to do the bad thing, but I'm also not willing to only do bad things. Right. Like if you have been in a situation where you needed to kill um, someone who had surrendered, maybe the next time you're like, ah, eh, you get off this time. Right, you know, it's uh, it's a bit like two face flipping a coin, or it can be if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think overall, having a having a chaotic neutral character who lacks conviction is a much more relatable and sort of party friendly way to approach the alignment. Maybe for you, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you lack conviction, Shane. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Um, but if you think of, of a lot of the sort of iconic, uh, chaotic, neutral characters, right? Like, um, they're all rogues and scoundrels, right? Like the Han Solos, the the Jack Sparrows, the Batmans. The Lone Star. <laughs> yes, right. of course. <laughs> um, which is to say that they, they deal in the gray areas of morality, uh, mostly because they don't value morality very highly. They don't really think in those terms consistently. They just kind of float along uh and and let other people be responsible for defining it right or they think that you know um a highbrow view of morality is for people who have the time um or or the the luxury yeah of (laughs) of being able to deal with oh you know we don't kill anyone who's surrendered well uh, that's great if you have a penal system and jail right now but if you're like out in the wasteland yes you have to kill them otherwise they leave and try to kill you again right i would never torture a prisoner you know i mean unless i had a very very tight 
clock. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just had to get it done. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm thinking of even like just, um, like, uh, like an Aladdin type, right? Having to steal bread for to eat for the night. Like, you don't have the luxury of thinking like, well, if I steal from this merchant, is the merchant gonna go hungry? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, what if everybody stole from the merchant? Like, it doesn't matter when you have a a growling stomach, you know? right? Uh, let's consider the tragedy of the commons, if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, so the, the part of this then is like, you know, you can have a character who sort of tends towards doing good things, like doesn't go out of their way to do evil, but then, you know, sometimes you got to get your hands dirty or, or likewise, you could have a character who sort of trends towards selfishness, but still has soft spots for their friends or family or, you know, like children or downtrodden, whomever. Yeah. Actually, one of my favorite archetypes is that character who's like selfish and kind of a jerk, except when it comes to blank right children i always help children you know uh, i i really like animals even though i hate people right all right so what are some reasons to play a chaotic neutral character someone who lacks conviction and can't be bothered to get off their ass to go save the world uh you get a lot of flexibility (laughs) (laughs) uh you're you're not beholden to sort of a higher code right so you can have the freedom to deal with problems problems pragmatically yeah i really like that aspect of it um if you want to play the type of character who looks at the situation and doesn't necessarily follow like a fantasy or an rpg trope when they're deciding what to do and says okay what would a reasonable person in this situation actually be doing chaotic neutral is actually a pretty good alignment yeah i mean i I think that's the reality is most people are sort of between neutral and good on the scale right like they try to do good but push comes to shove you sometimes do selfish stuff too yeah i'm not gonna go out of my way i'm not gonna put myself in harm's way to like make things okay and actually you know i'm probably not gonna like pay a little bit extra money so that someone else is doing a little better you yeah know what i mean exactly i'm not doing that great right <laughs> i may like and people make decisions on the margin right so that's pretty neutral um likewise another reason to play chaotic neutral is independence um you aren't beholden to the rest of society for much including your motivation right like i don't care about concepts of like you know my order or my country because like i do me and if i'm lucky so do other people (laughs) well yeah i mean (laughs) Uh, it also gives you an opportunity to grow into a different alignment i actually really like starting all my characters off as true neutral um or you know one of the neutrals uh, so that they can become defined by their actions as time goes on. You know, so you can say, oh, my backstory is like I saved an orphanage and I'm good. Or it can be like, I haven't really committed. I am neutral. But then when your character is presented with different options during the game, you're going to make decisions based around that. And I think that uh, that can sort of uh, expose to you as the player what your character's alignment actually is as they go. I think we've talked about emergent backstories before. This is like emergent alignment. Right. Yeah, this is a great starting point. I mean, it's um, it's sort of like the distinction between um, Han Solo and Jack Sparrow, right? Like one of the things that makes Han Solo so great is that he starts out chaotic neutral and really does sort of move towards like a chaotic good. Um, and one of the things that makes Jack Sparrow so frustrating and also sort of endearing is that he never changes, right? <laughs> he's He's always looking out for number one. Uh, even when it kind of like hurts him and like emotionally, right? He struggles with it. He still kind of just sticks with neutral. <laughs> he's seeking balance. He's striving for balance in the universe. That's not probably quite right. what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
he's he's trying to balance his his base desire for Elizabeth Swanson with his equally base desire for Colt. I mean, aren't we all? And ideally, some revenge. Chaotic Neutral also lets you add a nice bit of interpersonal tension with characters who are more noble-minded. It's much, much easier to balance with a chaotic neutral character than, for example, a chaotic evil or even like a lawful evil character. Yeah. Who, you know, has not just selfish but actively evil motivations and desires. It's really tough to get, you know, even the the like Robin Hood archetype who like doesn't believe in rules and is fine with, you know, stealing as long as like poor people get some of it mm-hmm. to go along with someone who's like, well, yeah, but I mean, what if we, what if we just like burn the whole village down? Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some, uh, some lateral thinking that doesn't quite work for a party. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that I really like about chaotic neutral is you get the chance to be like the wild card, right? So, um, this is the Mal Reynolds type where, you know, um, the paladin and the cleric are arguing over what they need to do with these captured enemy soldiers uh, on their stealth mission or whatever it is. And the rogue just goes and slits their throats, right? It's like they're dead. Problem solved. Let's get moving. Did you just call Mal Reynolds chaotic neutral? I think so. We are going to get so much hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, I think it's it's Jane who actually does this, right? It's not Mal. If I'm- well, actually, if you remember in the um, in the pilot, Lawrence has a gun to River's head and Mal's just like, I'm sick of this and just shoots him in the face. Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> like, you know, but, but you get that. Um, and again, you know, you have to modulate this within the context of the scene and, and your group, but you do have that sort of free freedom to, you know, just kind of, you know what, like there is a pragmatic solution and I am going to be the deliverer of it. <laughs> like, like you guys can argue about the right thing to do. I'm going to do the thing that gets us moving forward. Yeah. And we'll talk about this a bit more later, but you do want to make sure that it doesn't devolve into essentially like, I'm insane. Right. Yeah. You know, sort of like the gentlest iterations of Harley Quinn. Okay. <laughs> who, who, you know, bonks people on the head with a mallet, but nobody dies. Right. Okay. <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> All right, so you're chaotic neutral. Uh, you're part of an adventuring party. Why? Because you're looking at for number one, man. Why are you with these jokers? Uh, you might not have a place in society, right? Uh, so many of the chaotic neutral sort of iconic um, individuals are rogues. They're scoundrels. That's that's sort of how you end up this alignment or or what society does to people who have this alignment they push them to the to the fringes to the outside to the the underclass yeah i like that you can actually have two chaotic neutral characters and one is there by choice and the other is there because they have no other options right yeah i mean that's the other thing is you, it might not be that you don't have a place in society it's that you've rejected your place in society right like the uh, noble born who decides to slum it in Williamsburg. <laughs> <laughs> the Trustafarian. Right. <laughs> you could do so much good with that money. Yeah, but nah. Right. I'd rather grow a beard and wear flannel. <laughs> You're halfway there right now. You have a substantial <laughs> have a beard. beard. My beard is coming off soon, though, as soon as this weather turns, man. <laughs> okay, so three more months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You could be out adventuring for purely selfish reasons, some personal objective. Um, this is Haley in Order of the Stick. Uh, she starts off very chaotic neutral, and you find out the reason she's doing it is to buy her father's freedom. Yeah. 
or uh, or the brother in um, in Firefly, right? It's all about protecting River, even though he is a noble born doctor and all of those things. Did you just call Simon, Simon. chaotic neutral? Uh, maybe we are going to get okay. so much hate mail. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not using. I'm using the motivation. Well, obviously, Simon, he's, not the he's neutral evil by placing the safety of his sister above all of those other people he could be saving as a doctor. Okay, right. I, <laughs> and this is the aforementioned <laughs> argument. <laughs> Um, there are also the the sort of more basic uh, reasons, right? Uh, fame or infamy or profit, um, you know, just the the usual like I want to be independent, and so that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, this is a really good alignment for NPCs that the party deals with. If you're running some, think of the information broker, uh, the drug dealer. These are people who you know they they don't kill people be- because it's fun. It just if they need to save their own hides, yeah, they'll kill someone. If it is beneficial to them, yeah, they'll save someone. Right. And they can go either way. They can help the party. They can hinder the party. I think there can also be sort of a a lazy ennui <laughs> that can lead you to adventuring as well. You know, it's like, well, adventuring seems better than working on a dock for the rest of my life or dying in a cavalry charge. So I don't know. Maybe I'll give that a shot. Yeah, I'm not out here because I want to save the world. I'm not out here for any particular motivation, but everyone's got to eat. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the alternatives look pretty bleak as well. Yeah, this is like if we don't die or get eaten by carrion crawlers, this is way more lucrative. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm basically buying stock in a startup. Right. Right now. (laughs) Our adventuring company. (laughs) Right. Stock options, right? right? (laughs) I'm hoping to buy your options on the cheap, too, when you die in that dungeon. (laughs) It's a nice jacket. <laughs> I'm going I'm to take them from your estate. Don't worry. <laughs> I have joined an adventuring company where everyone is my size. <laughs> so what are some moral dilemmas that, that can challenge chaotic neutral characters? Well, that's a little tougher because unlike a lawful good character, for example, the good versus evil morality is much less definitive for a chaotic neutral character. But you can really challenge their their chaotic worldview because they're usually pretty um, pretty beholden to living a life that is operating outside of the rules. Right. So maybe that means that they're offered an opportunity to address injustices that are occurring within um, a libertarian society or a primitive society where the rules are less important. Right. Um, you can also create situations where appealing to authority is actually the easiest approach. So, um, you know, you might have a friend or a colleague who's been wrongfully imprisoned. Uh, One option is to break them out of jail because, you know, they're wrongfully imprisoned and society has no business uh, restricting someone's freedoms unjustly. Um, But the easier way to do that might just be petitioning the Baroness. But that would mean swallowing your pride and actually engaging with the social structures in place and therefore legitimizing them. Yeah, I really like uh, where... The easiest option is apologizing to the Baroness. Like what she, the only thing she needs from you is a sincere apology and a promise that you're never going to do it again. Right. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) all you have to do is compromise uh, your values. uh, (laughs) uh, And everyone else in the party is like, it's so easy. Just, just say it. And you're like, but uh, this is the whole reason I'm doing this. Guys, I just don't see myself doing that. Right. I just, (laughs) you know what though? I'm really good at breaking them out of jail. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, another way that I love challenging chaotic players is by either giving them a glimpse or actually giving them responsibility for the sort of burden that rulership places on a person, right? So uh, we're living this in our birthright campaign right now <laughs> that all the problems kind of roll up to us and we're, we're growing authoritarian so that we can actually put policies in place that address these problems. Uh, even though many of our characters are sort of, yeah, let's use democracy and like keep society free and educate people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're playing a chaotic neutral character. Uh, right? Is Tannis... Uh, sorry, Tannen. Tannen is chaotic neutral. Uh, he's actually neutral good. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As played by Shane. Uh, well, <laughs> keep in mind he's a he's a populist, right? Um, so that's where his his sort of morality comes from. I is, see. Is giving see. like giving over to the will of the people, mm-hmm. uh, and you know guiding them in the right direction. Uh, well, Kirvel is my character is. Uh, chaotic good right and yeah it is it is tough to be like oh right so we really should rule with an iron fist while we're away or place strictures so that nothing can go awry because these people cannot rule themselves exactly yeah and and even on a smaller scale right i mean birthright is about ruling countries and provinces but like um you could give characters the command of the defenses of a town right or or put them responsible for um, you know, escorting a group of civilians across like a hostile area, you know, like even like caravan guards, right? Um, you have the responsibility of doing your job, but people are not making that easy for you because they're left to their own devices, um, which which might be consistent with how you would like people to live and be treated, but inconsistent with effectively doing the job you signed up for. Yeah. Uh, if you have identified pressure points earlier, like, you know, they have a soft spot, soft spot for children, then leverage those, you know, put these characters in a position where, you know, the town is being attacked and they're the only ones currently present who can save the orphanage. Uh, Man, it is a hassle and a bother to put yourself in harm's way to defend an orphanage from marauding orcs. But like, I'm not going to let children die. Right. Why couldn't it have just been old people? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that alignment is is really about not just how the characters interact with the world, but how they interact specifically with other people. There are specific kinds of people that it is more or or less easy to interact with. And for a chaotic neutral character, authority figures are probably the, the most fraught relationships that they're going to have. Right. And, and I think the natural reaction, of course, is to reject authority or challenge it, right? Like, what gives you the right to declare this? But just remember, if you are playing chaotic neutral, you are not suicidal. Probably you are the least suicidal. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking out for number one often, and that means that if you're standing in the court in front of the king, you are probably not going to insult them to their face, especially if they're known for having people's heads cut off. Yeah, like a chaotic neutral character probably is not going to refuse to bend the knee uh, as a matter of simple decorum, they might grumble under their breath as they do it, right? They might, uh, they might swear some type of revenge later, but uh, they'll go along with it if it means self-preservation. Right. Pragmatism usually means I should try to live to another day. Right, yeah. I will live to exact my revenge <laughs> and undo your institution. <laughs> Being, you know, um, the feudal system entirely. <laughs> <laughs> 
that seems like a lot of commitment. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this week anyway. Right. I'm I'm undoing the feudal system. We'll see about next week. Um, what about enemies? What are what are some ways that chaotic neutral characters would interact with their enemies? Well, we've talked about how you know you can have exceptions, but in general, you'll probably have few qualms about killing enemies or taking or interrogating prisoners. Um, and of course you are definitely not going to be above what other characters would consider to be underhanded tactics, setting ambushes, throwing pocket sand in your enemy's eyes, uh, eye gouges, hits below the belt. Yeah. Below the belt's the best place to hit someone first. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It brings (laughs) them down to your level. Right. Why would you not do that? (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I think of like Bill the Butcher at the end of, um, at the end of Gangs, Gangs of New, New York, York, right? When he's just like kind of running through the smoke and sort of striking at Leo DiCaprio, like hamstringing him, right? Just one hit at a time while he can't respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at the paladin and look at the things that they're not doing. Do those things. Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> up to and including, you know, using the paladin to flank somebody right. <laughs> and shiving them in the back. <laughs> I was in an honor duel. Yeah, well, I finished it. Yeah, well, you were in an honor duel. <laughs> Your honor is fine and my blade is wet. (laughs) Other questions that might be easily defined by social norms will be more defined by your personal belief system. So, you know, how do you feel about harming children or the elderly? How do you feel about harming the children or the elderly of other species? Right. Um, How do you treat the dead, right? Is looting uh allowed right uh do you take the time to bury the dead do you provide last rites that sort of stuff i love the idea of uh, a thief who has utmost respect for the dead and won't loot the dead so they're very good at pickpocketing and they've got to steal the items before they kill them right yeah (laughs) once they're dead oh i have to bury you with this purse yeah i also like i like that idea of like I have to bury the dead, so I'm going to try and not dead people. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm going to try and use like the nonviolent approach or just knock them out because I don't want to have to deal with the hassle of digging another hole. Right. I'm going to tie you up, but I'm going to get eaten by carrion crawlers. Well, yeah, nothing to bury. Right. <laughs> uh, how about lawful characters? Because those are clearly the most um, diametrically opposite yeah i mean they chafe a bit they feel kind of oppressive even the ones who are talking about liberation you know they're they're seeking to stifle personal freedom even if they want a free society yeah they might also see them as sort of squares or having an antiquated or unenlightened worldview they might they might think of like their more chaotic view is uh as as better right the monk's vow of celibacy is super weird yeah (laughs) like dude you could just like do it right i'm not gonna tell anyone (laughs) right (laughs) you don't even worship a god you worship a philosophy is your philosophy gonna get angry chaotic characters might also see more lawful characters as actually being oppressed by their attitudes right like like they're like that monk might be a victim of that oath of that order of that sort of uh vow um who needs to be freed from it Right. Like, so they can actually enjoy freedom and and enjoy that sort of flexibility. Yeah. The vow of poverty monk that you're hanging out with, I buy them the nicest stuff. (laughs) We go out to eat in the nicest restaurants. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it all. You don't have any money. Right. (laughs) I'm just trying to show you money's pretty good. This is the good life. Um, and then uh, when you get into the more like kind of lovable rogue kind of characters, they might take it as sort of a personal goal to challenge 
the lawful character's worldview, right? Um, I think of this as like kids who are always trying to get the Buckingham Palace guards to crack a smile. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you're a soldier, like a career soldier. You're up at dawn. You're, you know, doing your PT. You're doing all this stuff. Like, I'm just lazing about all day until it's time to work. Um, I'm going to get you over to my side. Like, I'm I'm, I'm just going to keep kind of kind of nagging you about that, you know? Like, just kind of digging you a little bit every day until eventually you break and you come to see my point of view. Yeah, and, of course, the fewer lawful people there are in the world, the fewer people are nagging me to do all this stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we all just laze around, the world's a much better place. Right. <laughs> all, all that good needs, or all that evil needs for good to triumph is to just stay home. <laughs> But I want evil to stay home too. Right. Yeah. Let's just chill, <laughs> it's, guys. It's balance. <laughs> Have some pipe weed. Um, what about good characters? Depending on how you view the moral axis, you might see good characters as naive, maybe even weak. Uh, maybe they're hiding behind this moral code so that they don't have to deal with the actual problems of the real world. They don't need to make real decisions. Uh, the alternative is they might see them as foolish or idealistic, right? Like your your worldview is incompatible with the way that people actually live, right? Like it isn't all nice and bright and shining. It's actually very dark and gray and gritty and bloody. Yeah, you don't know what it's like down here in the trenches. Right. Like I have risen above. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side, you might also get flack from evil characters. And you might have tension with them because, well, let's be honest, typically, like, they're doing things that aren't that much fun for other people other than themselves. Yeah, evil tends to infringe on freedom, mostly, you know, by... Deading you. Or exploiting you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you think about it, obviously you're opposed to lawful evil because tyrants restrict the freedom of other people and probably you as well. But you're probably also opposed to chaotic evil as well because dead farmers also aren't living the free life right yeah it's not as much of a moral sort of opposition right like because you you probably do some bad things as well um everyone has that capacity but it could be just the effects of that evil outlook are uh too damaging to your your sort of desire for freedom right you're probably less you have less friction with like an evil businessman unless he's robbing you right (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, But you probably have very few qualms about ending the menace, right? The the paladin's like, ah, finally, someone who is justifiably evil and I will smite them, you know? But the neutral good priest is standing here going, ah, we must redeem them. And you have already shipped them. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, and it's it's not because they were evil. It's because being evil is bad for business right like that that could have come back on me so i'm just gonna head that one off at the pass yeah i see what you were doing priest and it was gonna take a really long time right (laughs) also they were gonna betray you duh yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) but in the party remember that you're a team and you're getting along together and the reason that you have stayed together as an adventuring party is because they offer things that you can't and vice versa so if you're in a party with for example, uh, lawful characters, they probably have access or contacts that you don't. You know, society may be this authoritarian construct that's supposed to keep its boot on your neck and make sure that you can't have a good time. But occasionally it's nice to be able to walk in uh, with the proper papers uh, and, you know, get excellent service rather than having to break in through the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> 
you also um, might object to the approaches of uh, of your party members that are going to sort of lead to oppression of of like an NPC's sort of free will, right? You you would be kind of you might be very in tune to the idea of uh, of that personal freedom remaining important, even though you are you are trying to accomplish sort of a greater goal, right? Like we need an approach that still lets people be themselves. We don't we don't want them to just fall in line with what we're doing because we say it's right because that's oppressive. Right, might make makes right is not the way to convince people of our justness or right. the justness of our cause. Anyway, right. I can also see like a philosophically chaotic neutral character being really uncomfortable with things like charm or domination magic and being like uh, mm, I don't know how I feel about taking over somebody's mind because it really overrides free will and that's really kind of the only thing I care about yeah or maybe you're just like eh it's fine use it I'm gonna get uh, a permanent mind blank item so I'm safe right um, you're also likely it's also possible to have tension or conflict with other chaotic neutral members of your party. Um, this could be like perhaps because the source of your belief comes from different places, right? So I'm, I'm thinking like if you were raised in the wilds with the barbarian tribe, um, you would have a very different take on the value of chaotic neutral compared to a pampered noble who has rejected their society and privilege. Yeah, and if both of you are just being uh, selfish, it's very possible that those ends uh, oppose each other. Right. All right, so let's talk about some pitfalls of playing chaotic neutral to the hilt. So I think the first one is the one everyone fears the most as soon as somebody says chaotic neutral, or perhaps to a greater degree even uh, chaotic evil, is that sort of mercurial neutral that unpredictable sociopathic character who has no firmly held beliefs, uh, no outside, no greater mot- motivation, no important relationships, no sense of self, and is just there to be uh, solely the wild card. Yeah, I don't know if I put food in my mouth or on my head. Yeah, exactly. But I know I'm insulting that king to his face because he has a funny crown. <laughs> I think, um, was it second edition or third edition that was the one that defined chaotic neutral as this character is as likely to uh, jump off a bridge as they are to stab someone? It, yeah, it, it was like pointlessly uh, capricious, <laughs> right? For no reason, like essentially rolling dice every day as to how am I going to behave? Yeah, so I, I would just remember like your as a chaotic neutral character, your beliefs might be more malleable. Uh, they might be, you know more flexible and open to sort of broader consideration. Um, You know, you aren't tied to a code the way maybe like a lawful good character is. Um, But that malleability and flexibility is sort of measured across like weeks and months of adventuring, not encounter to encounter of how you're going to act on a, you know, minute to minute basis. Yeah. Han Solo is extremely loyal to Chewbacca. Right. And there's never going to be a time when he like, betrays Chewbacca yeah as opposed to you know in the 15th minute of the movie he stabs Chewbacca in the heart <laughs> spends the next 30 minutes nursing him back to health only to stab him one more time like, yeah exactly I'm so zany <laughs> my name is Solo get it Aye. Uh, so another potential pitfall for chaotic neutral characters is to sort of um, let neutral outweigh chaos 
and become sort of chaotic balanced, right? The idea of, um, you know, I care more about good and evil being even on the ledger and that's defining my character and, and the chaotic piece is just the secondary, right? So as you, if you get too into that balance, uh, as we kind of talked about earlier, you end up doing so much evil in, in the name of balance, especially within your party that you just become chaotic evil. Like you're, you're just the evil character at that point because, um, the balance is totally perceived. It's like, it's, it's a solipsistic perception of evil. Yeah. It's tough to balance like with an in-game morality. Like you kill one orphan and like now you're evil. Right. <laughs> Although I think we established last time it's four, four or four is the magic number. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I will say you can do this sort of balance like worldview um, in a good theme campaign if you start from the point of view that like there's enough evil in the world without us right like I'm just balancing all the other evil I'm not going to go attempt to like even the ledger for our party I'm looking at a bigger picture right like in the scope of all of the world there's plenty of evil we need to be good in order to balance that yeah you're digging the world out of this hole this, right like debt of goodness right uh, it reminds me of um in forgotten realms there's uh, the priest of il mater the god of suffering um who believe that like there's a finite amount of suffering in the world like that will be meted out to people and so they uh injure themselves yeah, right? they, they flagellate they self-flagellate so like, that there's less suffering to go around right right and then of course there's the rebel without a cause which we might also call chaotic stupid yeah and this is uh this is kind of similar to mercurial neutral but the idea here is that the character's ethos is wholly anti-establishment right forget morality anything that is established order i will burn to the ground right um so this is the person who is insulting the king or outright attacking them this is the person who um steals wantonly who pickpockets every possible uh merchant you know just uh, it cannot function in a society i don't have a concept of personal property (laughs) right (laughs) i look like a child (laughs) exactly (laughs) get out of here tasselhoff (laughs) go burr somebody else's bottom is that his last name burrbottom i don't i don't remember i don't remember whatever i try to put him out of my mind burfoot it's burfoot oh it is yeah. yeah yeah it's not conducive to sharing the narrative with other characters who have different worldviews. It's not even conducive to sharing the narrative with other characters with the same worldview. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be a short-lived campaign to just try and tear the world down <laughs> as a group. <laughs> right. Um, but but yeah, I mean, if, if there are characters who have relationships and, and sort of plot motivations at all, um, you are just serving to impede them. Like, and and also doing it in a way without the sort of broader oversight that a DM might um you're you're a problem player at that point mm-hmm. you also end up shooting yourself in the foot attacking the king gets you killed <laughs> right <laughs> you're also a conveniently short-lived character for yeah. the rest of the party <laughs> the problem solves itself right um so if you want to do something like this though uh i would say it's better to be a rebel with a very well-established cause right uh one that you hold extremely dear and very vocal um, we did this in Dark Sun. Um, Brian, who plays Trix in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign, uh, he played a character called Malzus, who was a freed mall slave who 
sought to end the sl- end slavery and especially for malls. Yes, like Moses, the Moses of malls. Right. <laughs> the mole Moses. He wanted to deliver the malls <laughs> to the promised land. <laughs> um, and, and he established, you know, out out front, that is my character, right? That's my concept. We all agreed. Um, and, and we knew he would take unreasonable and unnecessary risks to do that, right? So if something came up uh, where it was critical that he kind of stuff it we had to do a lot of convincing for him otherwise we had to plan around him sort of adding in this layer of objective to whatever we were trying to do right or we needed to essentially pay him in plot later right like (laughs) okay fine we'll we'll we'll, do this we'll also buy five moles and free them right exactly (laughs) um but this became so core to his character that it prevented him from pledging to the company like our mercenary company like he could not he could not suborn this desire for the company's demands, so he had to stay sort of unattached. Yeah, it was kind of cool because we were actually getting to the point where we were like, well, I mean, we could take on the freeing of the slaves issue as part of the company, and that would get him to join. And, and it's not just him that we're getting, right? But we're getting essentially every one of them that we free, right. which is certainly not bad for our company. And, you know, the rest of us were usually some combination of, like, neutral alignment or good alignment. So pretty much everyone was like, and also we wouldn't mind if that happened. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, pragmatically, freeing slavery or ending slavery at Dark Sun is sort of, ooh, that's a doozy. <laughs> like <laughs> It's the same as bringing back the oceans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but, but, you know, if you, if you take... An issue you can definitely make that work um, with a DM who can kind of work that into the themes of the campaign as well. All right, so what are some plot hooks that work well for chaotic neutral characters? Take care of the blank problem. So bandits, kobolds, goblins, whatever. Uh, it's like a classic starting adventure trope, but uh, the key here is that once the PCs start to interact with whatever that problem group is, they understand how they're actually victims. Right. So, um, you know, the farmers keep encroaching on the uh, goblins or the cobalt land or, you know, the bandits have been um, disenfranchised and, and cast out by society and they're just trying to make their way in the world. Right. Suddenly you're going, wait, I'm working for the man. Yeah. Urgh, damn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to come to some alternative solution. <laughs> I'm the man. No. <laughs> Uh, you can also do a neutral variant of Robin Hood, which is steal from people who deserve to get stolen from and keep it. Robin Hood rich. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, we're recapping in an entire campaign about it, but rogue traders are a great concept uh, for more neutral, chaotic kind of characters. Like the world is full of resources that have yet to be commercialized. <laughs> Let's go get them and exploit them. Uh, because nothing levels the playing field better than disruptive trade. <laughs> so in conclusion, if you as a player don't feel particularly beholden to either of the moral axes, chaotic neutral can be a really fun alignment to play. It's it's an interesting outlook that can add a lot of spice to a party in small to medium doses. Yeah, if if you already have a chaotic neutral character in the party, uh, I would really weigh carefully whether you need another one. Um, together, you know, if if half the party is chaotic neutral, you might find yourselves um, sort of outweighing uh, the other themes of the campaign in favor of this sort of freedom idea. Yeah, do you need two Jack Sparrows in a story? Right. No, you don't always even need one Jack Sparrow in a story. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, so just just be aware that like uh, adhering too strongly to chaotic neutral can um, can step on other players' toes and sort of start to remove their agency uh, if you're too proactive in your worldview. Do you hear that, Ishan? I'm jumping off a bridge. Well, I hope we're going to roll up a character who bounces. Uh, so we're going to have to move on to the character creation forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Trickster. And as you may have guessed, we're incorporating a fey theme here because there is no kind of creature in D&D that is more closely associated with funzy little tricks. Yeah, trickery is <laughs> sort of what they do. <laughs> and the fey. Uh, illusion, charm, silver tongues, you know, manipulation. That's... That's sort of what the trickster does and also what the fey do. All right, so Shane, what's the build? So the build is Arch Fey, Pact of the Chain Warlock 14, and College of Glamour Bard 6. So from Warlock, we're going to get Fey Presence. That's a charm or frighten effect, your choice, within a 10-foot cube. Uh, We got the great Misty Escape. You can turn invisible and Misty Step as a reaction to taking some damage. Yeah, you'll also get Beguiling Defenses at level 10. That that basically lets you counter-charm anyone who attempts to charm you. Uh, and then at 14, you get Dark Delirium, which basically traps an enemy in their own imagination for a minute, uh, which is a, an illusion and charm effect. Um, and then we use Pact of the Chain because uh, you can get the kind of cool um, invisible familiars, uh, which allow for a lot of, um, you know, shall we say hijinks <laughs> yeah i mean the imp has invisibility and shape changing um and the pseudo dragon i think can also turn invisible and has a little bit of sleep poison yep uh, but you can use is it voice of the voice, voice of, of the, the chain, chain master, master? Yeah, yeah that lets you speak through your familiar yeah. so you can do a lot of like <laughs> manipulation and hijinks that way right especially when it's invisible right <laughs> yeah where's that voice coming from <laughs> Um, and then Bard 6 is sort of where the core of this build comes from. Um, that, of course, you get expertise, so we'll take Deception and Persuasion. And then the level 3 ability, Mantle of Inspiration, not super on theme, but it does give um, opportunity attack-free movement and some temp HP for your Bardic Inspiration um, to your allies. Um, but then you get Enthralling Performance, which is another mass charm ability. Um, so as you can see, we're really doubling down on the charm. Um because at level 6 you will get Mantle of Majesty, which allows you to cast Command as a bonus action for a minute. Um, and the key here is that charmed creatures automatically fail their saving throw against your command. So once you've charmed them through any of your myriad ways of doing it, you use Command to make them fight for you. Yeah, this is, one, a wonderful out-of-combat ability where <laughs> you get to cast 10 command spells, right. basically, <laughs> yeah. like in a room or in a negotiation. Yep. Uh, but even in combat, it is it is utter chaos. Right. <laughs> Every round, just uh, grovel, uh, run, drop, sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop whatever you're doing and don't do that anymore. <laughs> and, and so that's sort of the, the basis of the build, right? It would be get charms out on your enemies and then use Mantle of Majesty in order to... Um, 
disrupt whatever they would be doing in combat. And then for leveling order, I would actually just take Bard to 6 to start and then go Warlock 14. Um, there are other ways to do this. You can kind of layer in um, some Warlock levels in there as well, but uh, that's the simplest and most direct way, and I think it makes a lot of sense just to um, get your kind of core engine working as a Bard and then add more charm effects as a Warlock. So, Ishin, who is your trickster? My trickster is pragmatic and chaotic neutral okay that's on that's on theme yes yes but given that she lives in an authoritarian society her pragmatism has led her to work for the government okay <laughs> as a, a sleep agent <laughs> as a spy master in another country in the deep state <laughs> <laughs> elsewhere where um the uh, rules are much more relaxed. A much nicer place to live. Okay, Julian Assange. <laughs> look, we have always been at war with Eurasia, but okay. uh, but it's much nicer to live in Eurasia. <laughs> so I will go do that. So this is Carrie Russell and the Americans. Yeah, I like that. But okay, so begins as Carrie Russell and the Americans, or like a Black Widow, Red Sparrow type situation okay, where okay. you know you've you've been trained to be enthralling, mm-hmm. uh, trained to you know be someone who is a, an excellent liar and can get information from you know anyone. Uh, but if Carrie Russell then decided that I don't like singing, um, and in fact I don't really love working for this authoritarian government, I need a way to get out. And could reach into uh, the Feywild and make a pact with an otherworldly creature to gain um, supernatural power, then I think then this is this character. Okay. She has decided, all right, I don't want to be a spy anymore. I don't want to um, have the, the boot of my original country always hovering over me. So instead, I will make a pact not with a fiend who would lord this power over me and demand too much. Uh, but from a fey lord who understands that I will do whatever I want with this power and in fact is perfectly happy with that because they are chaos itself. Uh, and I am perfectly happy to continue the work that I, I do here, live the, the life that I want, uh, but sow some chaos sometimes from afar through the help of my invisible familiar who can, you know, <laughs> be anywhere on this plane, right? Can go back home <laughs> and start ca- casting suggestion spells for me. Okay. <laughs> Uh, while I figure out a way to take down my initial country from within eventually. I think that's her end goal is eventually uh, bring down uh, the uh, authoritarian country that trained her in the first place. What about your trickster? Uh, My trickster is um, a little more overt in, uh, in the way that he sows discontent amongst the establishment. Uh, He is the, lead singer of a punk loot rock band (laughs) (laughs) a traveling band of minstrels uh who you know puts out these enthralling performances for the crowd uh whips them into a frenzy and then sends them forth to uh fight for their own freedom against the awful establishment that is oppressing them in this feudal society so it's basically a uso tour yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> I'm actually like kind of more like uh, like Pussy Riot. 
Is that fair? I, I think that's absolutely <laughs> is fair. It, isn't that exactly who they are, basically? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They absolutely have expertise in enthralling performances. Right. And uh, and also getting thrown in jail a lot. <laughs> <laughs> they get out, usually. Right. So. Yeah. Well, they got a you know, very uh, useful set of skills. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I like that idea that... Um, you know they 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 tour around uh you know as as sort of a cover id of being um the adventuring party being just sort of touring minstrels but um they're kind of do-gooders for hire um as well as sort of sowing this uh seeds of a, a better more open society so it's basically gem and the holograms they have superpowers as they uh, go on tour yeah, I'm not super familiar with that reference, but you don't I'm know a, Gem and the I'm gonna say oh, yes. Oh, we are gonna we are gonna have to have a sit down. I don't remember them <laughs> being in the G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> Could you please map it to a reference I understand more acutely? Uh if Snake Eyes pulled off his mask and it turned out that he was a teenage girl with pink hair who had a computer in her earring that could turn her between a rock star and a regular teenage girl. Kind of like Hannah Montana, but way cooler. Okay, all right. Yeah, I follow. I mean, I do feel like that movie was basically a character assassination of Snake Eyes because he did <laughs> nothing. Did he fall? Is that the episode where he fell? Um, or is that a different one? No, that's a different one. Okay. That, that's the the one where he fights his like counterpart in Cobra. Oh, in the white? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But no, no, no. In this one, he just gets like like ambushed with the rest of the the gi joes who chase them to cobra law and then gets like swallowed up by those giant trees as they break out and like never does anything cool and obviously you know he never says a word so he just gets like no screen time he gets total short shrift that sucks anyway if you uh, remember gem and the holograms or the gi joe movie at tpt cast let us know all right, before we wrap up, uh, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. We're here every week. If you would like to learn more, you can check out our Patreon rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And you can also find a link in the show notes to the character creation forge codex, which was the uh, reward that our Patreon supporters provided to us at $200. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about adapting published adventures. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Master of the Midnight Hunt. Well, that's it for episode 138 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 